Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, Paul, how's Canada, eh? Hey. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm up here in Victoria at the, at the second location. We took, a, took that seaplane ride yesterday, which was, you know, I've never done something like that. So that was, that was neat. We had a young, young female pilot um with no personality whatsoever but anyway that's fine i think i can i think i just fly a plane though yeah yeah how was that landing smoothest landing i've ever encountered in my life really yes it's kind of like an air force landing yeah i guess yeah yeah well I, i saw your pictures from that flight that's pretty cool so paul and i uh for the last four days have been in uh vancouver canada together for a, a big leaders conference with one of the, the companies that we write for. And that was pretty cool. It was nice to get out. Actually, they, they had a UFC fight going on at the exact same time. I think, I, like I told you, I saw a UFC fighter in the hotel asking me where the ice was before the right. fight. I bet after the fight, he'd be he's probably needing a lot more ice now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool. Now you're in Victoria. Which one do you like better? This appears to be a better location. Yeah, it's more rural, isn't it? Well, no, we're it's no. I mean, it's a city. I'm looking out the window, at, but I'm we're overlooking a harbor, and uh, yeah, it's just and the weather's nice, right? We had some rain in yeah in uh, Vancouver, so yeah, the weather's nicer, and this hotel uh, is nice, and um, so I think overall this is going to be like I looked at oh, my last room. I was looking at the roof. Yeah, yeah, yep. So this is this is much nicer. I had the same kind of view, but uh, yeah, and you probably have a much better, uh, more comfortable situation in that room as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> some of those hotels are they're nice, uh, but they don't always maintain the things that really need to be maintained, like the beds, right. the furniture. Yeah, right. All those capital expenses they they should probably put some money into. But yeah, man, we had a great time. Good, uh, good time meeting new people, talking to some of uh, our favorite people, and one of our favorite authors. We get to talk to Barry Dyke, who yep. who wrote The Pirates of Manhattan, um, and then the second one, and all that. So that's uh, that was pretty fun getting to meet him. That's the first time I met him. Yeah, no, uh, he's great. Good dude. Yeah, real good dude. Definitely recommend picking up his books. His fourth book is coming out, I think, later this year. Um. So, I asked him how much research he does, and he's like two to three hours a day. Yeah, he spends researching, and you can tell when you read his books, man. Those are some heavily researched books with a lot of footnotes. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of you know verification on where that information's coming from. So, really good stuff. Yeah, he had some things to say this morning um, about you know the next book and what it's what it's about and how it affects the industry at large. So. I really am looking forward to that, to his insight. And he knows a lot of people too. Uh, so he's well-connected and he knows he's got insight that virtually nobody has. 
Yeah, so. and he's uh, I think he's got a big target on his back that he's okay with because um, some of these institutions don't like the information that the truth that he's getting out there. Correct. To the public. Yeah, that's so. right. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your time in Victoria. Get back here and, uh, and get back to work soon. But yeah, I am working. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're working. Well, technically you are right now. So thanks for making time on your vacation more or less to, yeah. uh, to record from the hotel room. That's why Paul sounds a little different because he didn't take his microphone, which is okay. Um, so we'll, we'll make do. Um, all right, man. Well, so we had a question come in. Do you got that question in front of you? I do. This question is from a lady named Trisha. And pretty simple question, but it's one that comes up quite often. And uh, it's a good question. So um, the question is, is there a way to pay that interest, meaning policy loan interest, at the end of the year to avoid it from compounding. And this is from our episode that is, um, it was an IBC Q&A, loan interest enforce illustrations and lawsuits, which okay. was just a couple of episodes ago, I think, right, Dave? I think it was the most recent one, Yeah, perhaps, yeah. So uh, short answer, yes, absolutely. And by the end of the year, at the end of the year, I think what she means, what Trisha means is at the end of the policy year, because your year begins and ends with your policy anniversary date, the day it goes in force. So it's not like December 31st, you're paying off the interest. It's whenever your anniversary date comes up, there's an interest that's been calculated in, in arrears over the last year, the total volume of interest number. And what will happen, Tricia, is the, in, the company, when they send you your invoice, at least the companies that, that we're familiar with, this is how they operate. They send you your monthly or your annual statement. Statement showing, hey, here's your premium, here's the due date, and here's the interest that has accrued over the last policy year. And they actually project that interest out a couple weeks to show you what it will be by the you know, by time they receive the money and the process and, and everything. So yes, you can absolutely pay it off. If you don't, um, it just gets added onto your principal, your outstanding loan principal. So, you know, and the interest is a bit... It's a, it's a bit tricky. You can't pay it off early unless you completely pay off your outstanding loan. So you can't like, you know, six months through your policy year, say, I'm going to pay off all the interest. Well, any money you send the company is going to go towards your outstanding loan balance first. It's going to go towards the principal. Once the principal is paid off, then you can pay off all the interest. Um, or you have the opportunity to pay the interest off on your anniversary date, more or less. So it doesn't compound. So, yep. Short answer, yes. There's a lot of caveats, a lot of a lot of details. I'm sure we could get into, but I, I think that's probably the answer you're you're looking for. So, anything to add yeah. on that one? No, just that you know, when you're doing IBC, you know, you're the the banker can do whatever she wants, whatever he wants. Right. So, if you want to, you know, I make when I have adequate cash flows that I don't want to that I obviously not stick in a savings account with a bank or credit union, and I have outstanding loans, I'm going to put that money against that outstanding loan. Yep. That is the best place for me to put it. Um, one caveat on that, if I have outstanding PUA that I haven't fully funded for that policy year, I'm going to fund that PUA first before funding before repaying that outstanding policy loan or loans. So we've touched upon that before, but just to reiterate, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, make sure you you maximize that premium and then start repaying those loans. Yep. 
Yep. Good. All right, man. Well, today uh, we we want to do a, a retirement special. We have not had a, an episode solely dedicated to the topic of retirement. Um, one, because that's not a word we really like to use, but we use it anyway because it's such a widely used, everybody knows what that means. And it may mean something different to everybody, but really what it means is you're done working for a living. You're, right. You become a professional asset manager at that point. You know, you stop taking an active income because you you quit, you know, you stop doing that full-time job, whatever provided your income, right? And now you just get to play banker for the rest of your life and, and manage your assets and, you know, and and uh, really be the banker uh, full-time instead of just part-time because we say everybody needs to be involved in two businesses, right? The business where you earn your money and the banking business. Yep. Eventually that business where you earn your money can stop and you're just in the banking business full-time after that. So that's, I think Nelson called retirement the passive income years. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't like he didn't like that word because he thought, well, it is. It's really a kind of a socialist idea. You know, the idea was to get people out of the workforce, so that because they thought it was a fixed pie to get new people, younger people, into the workforce. Uh, and of course, it's not a fixed pie. That's that's a socialist. Yeah, it's not a zero sum game. It's right. Not. So, and retire really means to remove from service. I mean, That's at 65, right. 60, 65, you have more knowledge than anybody else in, in whatever profession you're in at that time. Removing right. you completely is, it sounds ludicrous. You take all that knowledge with you, right? Uh, there's so much you can be doing. But anyway, let's talk about retirement because I've, I've been having these conversations with some people, specifically pilots lately, who have a lot of... Um, some pilots get you know, the, the 401k that gets funded for them automatically uh, without them contributing anything. They also have company pensions. Then they'll have social security. But what happens when they get to retirement and all that income comes in? What do they realize at that point? Well, they got a huge tax burden probably. It's all taxable. All 100% of their income at that point is taxable and nobody's prepared them for that. Right, their financial planner didn't really prepare them. Um, all they focused on was growing their their nest egg. You know, deferring taxes, deferring taxes. Uh, their CPA helped them defer taxes, so that you know they had the lowest tax liability possible each and every year. Um, which which is great during those years, but at some point you got to pay the piper. Um, so, if all of your money all of your income in retirement, because you only need one thing to retire, and that's income. Income. Yep. So if all of that is taxable, you know, some questions that come up, let's say you're 40 years old. Hey, in 25 years from now, do you know what the tax rates are going to be? Do you know what tax bracket you're going to be in? No. Do you know what the rates inside of each of those tax brackets are going to be? No. Um, do you know how much... Uh, rate of return you will have gotten on your investments at that point. Well, well, they say I'm going to average 10% or 12% or 8% compound year on end year, you know, yeah, of course that's not true. It's not last year. You took a 30% hit. And this year, if you're in the NASDAQ, you're earning 24%. You're not even close to being back where, where you were before the beginning of last year. Yeah. People don't, 
people forget or they just don't know, they don't take the time to calculate the volatility loss. Uh, just to get back to where you were is it takes way higher returns over an extended period of time just to make up for that loss. So exactly. Anyway, that's yeah. Just hang yeah. on, everybody. Just hang on. And then do you know how much you're going to need in order to live the same standard of living you're enjoying right now? No, you have no, no freaking clue. <clears throat> you have no, you have no idea. Clue. But but I will say you could take a look at the last 36 months, you know, from 2019 to now, and how much the standard of living has decreased for most people. Most average Americans, which most people are, their standard of living has gone down. Right. Despite maybe they got a cost of living adjustment, maybe, maybe they didn't in their, in their job. Uh, maybe they made a little bit more money, but that's that that income and in wage or that increase in wages has been eaten up by the increase of the, you know fuel, which affects everything: food, um, utility costs, you know whatever. Right. Um, so the purchasing power is just it's gone. Right. Yep. Um, just in the real estate market alone, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. So that that standard. So you know, and then there's in three added- years. I know in three years, man, three years ago was a completely different world financially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as you get older, medical costs increase drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's new technologies that come out that become necessities. Like who, you know, when, when our parents started planning for retirement, did they have any idea that they would need to pay for a cell phone for internet service? Um, you know, all of this technology, you know, the streaming right. services, no, but streaming now it's services. like, it's, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity for most people. Yep. Right? That's, right? that's the way we view it. So that's that's more cost. It's called uh, you know, technology, technological advances is gonna cost you more money. Hopefully that's offset by what technology does to reduce some burden elsewhere, but that's not always the case. Um so Paul, if you got re- in retirement, you've got your most people are probably sitting with two buckets of retirement money. There's tax deferred money. So it's been deferred all these years. As soon as they take it out, they're taxed on it at today's rates, bracket, everything else. There's taxable money, maybe money they just have sitting in the savings account that they're earning a little bit on. They got to pay taxes on any earnings there. There's a third bucket that most people and most advisors don't really uh, expose their clients to. And what's that third bucket? What kind of income? Tax-free. Tax-free income. And where might you get tax-free income? Well, their advisor will generally tell them, they're saying, I'm going to paint with a broad brush. There's some good advisors out there that that know how to use the product that we like to use. But, you know, for most people, that if they have it, it's going to be their individual their Roth IRA. Roth, right. Right, that, they've, that in 2002, you could pay $3,000 of post-tax income into it. Now I think it's up to $6,500, you know, 20 years later. So you can't get a lot of money in there and that's all by design. Yeah. So it's too good of a deal. It's too good of a deal, right? They want, they want, they know that your taxable accounts, your 401ks, traditional IRAs, they're going to get in, you know, income tax off that at a, on a larger amount of money, but the unknown rate likely higher that this idea that you're going to be in a lower tax bracket someday, I think is, I think that's nonsense. You just don't know. You can, you, you can right. hope you are, 
but how are we going to pay for all this debt, all these unfunded liabilities? That money has to come from somewhere. It can't come all through printing money either. Right. And also the idea that you know how much money you're going to need to live off of in retirement. Yeah, what's, a safe no with, what's a safe withdrawal rate? There is no such thing. No. There's guesses, but there's no such thing as a safe withdrawal rate because you don't know what tomorrow brings. Yep. And, right. you know, your retirement shouldn't be dependent on, you know, sequence of, of return risk, really, in my, in my opinion. Um, right. Which describes sequence of return risk. Yeah. So the market, let's say you're, you're in retirement now. You've been drawing down your, your, the money that you've accumulated over the years. But now, you know, you're still heavily vested in, in securities. Uh, maybe it, it was in the S&P or, or some other, you know, tracing some other index. And in the last year, you've lost 15, 20% of your account's value. Well, you can't draw as much as you thought you could draw when you were earning 15 or 20% returns because the market was up, um, although inflated. Um, so now you have to either go without, maybe you don't go on that vacation this year. Maybe you don't buy a new boat. Maybe... Or maybe you do have to take some out, but you have to take out less because, so anyway, that sequence of return risk, it's like when the market is down and you're reliant on market returns, that's going to affect your lifestyle in retirement. If you have done things the way they, quotes, have told you to do it over the last 40 years of your life. Right. And it's not necessarily that your, your money has gone down when the market's down it has, you have the same number of shares, right? Of whatever you purchase, they're just worth less. So now you worth have less. to sell right. more shares when they're low. So now you're selling low, which nobody ever wants to sell low, right? You want to sell high, but now you, you're forced to sell low. So you have to sell a greater amount of shares. So now when the market rebounds, you have fewer shares available to help your account recover. Now, when you're taking more shares out of a market that's down it, man like the the amount of increase it's going to need to get back to where you should have been get back on glide path is going to be incredibly difficult maybe even impossible yep and you know these people i feel bad for them because they were forced they were forced into this you know fed policy's been terrible with interest rates yeah, you know, this is why central. You know, this is a different discussion, but central banking is just such an evil thing. Quite honestly, when interest rates were so low, these people couldn't just go into like a fixed income type thing with bonds or whatever because they don't pay anything. Right. Even though you know you you can't you know rely on 075 percent every year unless you have you know a billion dollars in that account or something. Yeah. Uh, you can't live off that if you're the average person. And maybe you've saved a million. Yeah, you need four percent. You need five percent. You need twelve percent. Whatever it is. Um, to just to live off. So they're, right. they're kind of backed into a corner uh, financially, unless again, they transition into just buying cash flowing assets, another different discussion, whatever that may be. Um, real estate is you know typical for most people, but, um, but it's all by design, right? This forces them to keep their money under management with somebody, you know, it's all, you know, you don't have to figure it out people. Like it's, it's pretty simple to figure out what is going on. You just have to think for like three seconds and you're, you are at a disadvantage by doing things this way. Right. So what's, what's an alternative and maybe it doesn't even need to be a complete alternative. It could just be a supplement. Sure. Right? 
And that's where infinite banking comes in. So what, what are all these issues that we've talked about, all these problems that infinite banking can actually solve? Um, well, one thing you mentioned was the volatility of the market, sequence of returns risk. Well, what does infinite banking provide? You know, when you when you fund these whole life insurance policies for the cash value and you build these up over the years, let's pretend you've simply diverted some of the money that was going somewhere else into a qualified plan. And instead you take some of that, not all of it, you can keep doing what you're doing, take some of that and position it into a safe asset that's guaranteed, that's going to grow with interest and dividends, that's never going to decrease in value, that's never going to be taxed on any of the gains if you use it appropriately. And you just do that for the next 20, 30 years and never even touch it, right? By the time you retire, you're going to have a massive pool of capital, tax-free income that you can pull to get through those market downturns. And I think the average is every five years, there's going to be a market downturn on average. So if you retire at 65, that first market downturn could be that year. So you could live through five, six, seven market downturns in the next 30 years. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, you're going to need somewhere to pull tax-free income that's not correlated with the market when the market's down in order to make your qualified plans last as long as you want to last. Yeah. So that's... Yeah, the volatility buffer is, is probably first and foremost one of the greatest uh, characteristics about this during retirement. Um, so, yeah, and I and I and Dave, that indirectly goes back to just con it, it's really control. Not only do you control the asset, the dividend-paying whole life insurance policy, you control that asset, right? It's a private contract, so right. you control it. You you do what you want. You don't want to take money out via the loan feature. Don't. Um, you know, it's going to get likely going to get dividends every year. It's going to grow every year, uninterrupted compound, right? Um, with the other things, you don't, you don't have that. You have no idea what the value of your brokerage account is going to be next year. Yeah, you're right. And do you know exactly how much money you're going to have in your in your um, life insurance policy at age 65 when you retire? No but you know the absolute minimum that That's you're right. gonna have. And you also know that it's gonna be more than it is today, guaranteed. Right. Right, there's no, right. no two ways around it. You can't necessarily guarantee that any other investment you have is gonna be worth tomorrow, more tomorrow right. than it is today. Now, I wanna clarify some things. Now, I, Dave and I are not comparing paying premium into a dividend paying a life insurance contract as you know, you know, to your brokerage, you know, to your index fund. That's, yeah, that's not what we're doing here. So there's going to be some people that, oh, you're comparing this to that. We're, we're not. We're just, we're just saying this should be, this asset class, which whole life insurance is, should be a, a part of your overall portfolio. What, what objections would you have if you knew you could get all the money out of a life insurance contract that's been paid and more many times over without any tax? Would you object to putting more money into something like that? Well, of course you wouldn't. But unfortunately, you are bombarded with the noise from other people that are online, your traditional financial or your conventional conventional financial advisor, who knows nothing about whole life insurance, never designed a policy in their lives. Um, God bless them. 
but they don't know how to use this asset, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's, and unfortunately, that's what 99.9% of Americans are exposed to. Yeah. And the ones that do know how to use this asset, man, thank God for them because they can turn yes. you on to an asset that's going to improve your situation. It's not going to, uh, you know, it's not the end all be all, but it's going to improve whatever you're already doing because it's going to add certainty. It's going to add guarantees. Like if you could put yeah. enough away to provide certainty that you'll have enough money to cover the basics, food, clothing, shelter, medical during retirement and not be a burden to your kids um, or, or anybody else, um, you know, or become a ward of the state. Uh, if you had the necessary capital to cover at least that, then by all means, man, you can shoot for the moon with your other investments to fund your lifestyle, right? To have those, enjoy those golden years as they call them. It's a, you know, it really is. It's a portfolio enhancement. You know, it's not an either or. We're not asking you to not contribute any money to anything and just pay it all in premium. Um, it's an enhancement to what you're already doing. Right. Uh, and I, I can't, you know, we can't put a rate of return, Dave, on a guarantee either. You know, what is, what is the economic value of certainty? I can't put a number on it. You know, it's going to vary to the individual. I place a high amount of emphasis on certainty in my, just in my life, right? So I, I drive the speed limit and, you know, I pay a lot of life insurance premium because I want certainty, not only for me, but also my, my family. Uh, but I can't illustrate that on a piece of paper. Yeah. And, and risk elimination. I mean, what's the economic value of risk of eliminating financial risk? Right. Um, yeah. Well, so you mentioned uh, a word earlier, compounding. So most people are used mm -hmm. to, hey, we're going to, you know, Albert Einstein called eighth one of the world, compound interest. <clears throat> Let's compound until we get to retirement. Then we can start reaping the rewards of that compounding. Well, guess what? Warren Buffett, his, <clears throat> I don't know exactly what the number is, but guess what? His net worth has the majority, the vast majority of his net worth has come in the last few years. He's worked his entire life, right? The last few years, exponential increase in his net worth because of compounding, because Warren doesn't sell, he doesn't take money out, right? This is the same thing. This policy, these policies are not designed to compound uninterrupted, which they do uh, up until retirement when you start taking money out. No, they're, they're designed to compound uninterrupted up until the day you die or age 95 or age 100, however the policy is designed. But uh, they compound your entire life, not just until 65. So how about that? How about in retirement, if it's compounding every year uninterrupted, that means the, the delta that's being added is larger every single year, right? Yeah. That's what it means to yeah, me. that's right. Because you're getting compounding on an ever-increasing uh, amount. So what does that mean? It means, guess what you get to give yourself in retirement? You get to give a yourself raise. a pay raise every single year. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, hi, Tammy. Come on over. Come on this over. This is one of the Say. real wives of IBC right here. Yeah, <laughs> Paul, Paul and I, after hanging out with, uh, hey, Tammy, good to see you again. It's been, uh, it's been about 24 hours. Yeah. But yeah, while we were in Vancouver, we decided we're going to start another podcast, maybe even a TV show someday called The Real Wives of IBC. So it'll be, it'll be a hoot. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um, 
gosh, I had something to say. But keep 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 going. Well, so pay raises every year in retirement also provides an inflation hedge. Yes. And the other thing, Dave, with these policies is that let's say your policy is paid up at age 75 or age 65 or age 95 or 85 or 100, or you do an RPU, which is reduced paid up policy at some certain age. I don't encourage that, but it's there, the option. Right. Um, as part of one of the non-forfeiture options of whole life, uh, only whole life. The policy compounds all the way to 121 years old. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, you're right. It doesn't stop compounding. I, I misspoke, you know, they're, no, they're no, designed. No, it's just, just so clarification. They, yeah. No, it's yeah. great clarification because you can pay the premium up to a certain point. At some point, all these policies have a cutoff date where you can't put any more premium in, but right. the compounding does not stop and it can't it's not stop because they, it's, it, it, yeah, it goes the, until the compounding is immense by that time. Oh my gosh. You know, relative to the premium you've paid, yep. the dividend by that time is going to be many, 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 many times over what your premium was. So for example, folks, if your premium would say, and you've been paying premium for 40 years at $10,000 a year premium, the dividend at age 95, 96, or 80, age 85, whatever, pick an age, is going to be many times over what you've paid in premium. Oh yeah. So it's not like these people on television say where it's just a return of excess premium. You know, these people are, they have no idea what they're talking about. It is it is more than that. We've touched upon that before in other episodes. The dividend sure. is, is more than a return of excess premium. It is much more than that. Absolutely. It's just classified as that, which is great, which I'm glad it is. Tammy's over here crawling around on the floor. Like, you can bark in the kitchen. It's all right. She's it's army. Hard. She can army crawl. <laughs> it's called low crawling, Dave. Oh, yeah. Air Force doesn't do that, man. <laughs> we actually, you know, so... Other people get on their hands and knees, and we just walk on top of them. That's right. As Air Force officers, right? Where the air is, where the air is pure. The air is rare. So, what's another great thing about having some certainty in retirement is there. There's everybody thinks about man. I don't want to outlive. I don't want to overspend my money, and you know, and and outlive my money. So what happens? They they retire from this earth with a whole lot of money. So what they yeah, actually they hoard, did? They hoard it. And- yeah. is underspent. They underspent. They yeah. underspent drastically in retirement, which maybe not as bad as overspending, but is pretty darn bad because you spent your entire working life building up to this point where you can just enjoy, right? Instead of penny pinching. And too many people right now for, I mean, for good reason. I mean, they're fearful because of inflation yeah. and, and the standard of living. Like they're going to underspend. What this gives you is the freedom to spend your money. It really does. That's right. Yeah, no question. A lot of people, you know, think some, a lot of folks do want to leave something to the next generation. Um, and again, we don't know what the next generation is going to be like necessarily, or, or even their children. Maybe there's someone that, maybe there's, um, maybe there's a child that's going to need help for the rest of their lives. We don't right. know that right now, but maybe there is. Uh, and this idea like, uh, you know, that some of these financial entertainers say, well, screw the next generation, whatever. Well, that's, you're, if, if that's the way you think, you're not. You're really not my people. Uh, I can't. I can't help you. Um, so really, that you know, ensuring that the next generation is also um, you, your your legacy is insured while having the ability to take tax free income off a of policy or your other assets, you know, to supplement or whatever. Uh, but you've also, like you said, it's a license to spend yep. down those assets because that legacy is it's already there. Yep. Tax-free legacy, income tax-free to your gen- next generation. Boom, there it yep. is. Yep. You know, you know you're going to be leaving something behind. 
So spend away, spend away right. and don't leave them. I mean, this leads us to another thing, the complications of retirement distributions, you know, your 401ks and required minimum distributions at age like 73 now. Um, and then inheritance, you know, if you inherit an IRA, well, you know, if you're a kid, it's different. If you're, if you're a non-child, but you're within 10 years of that age of that person, it's different rules. Uh, whether, you know, you have to spend that down or not over a certain time period and how much you get taxed. Like, it's ridiculous. It, it's so complex. How about simplifying your retirement and simplifying the inheritance? Yeah. You know, I tell people all the time, and some people just don't see it. They don't get it. They're so brainwashed. But you're putting the government in between you and your money. Anytime you involve your money with a qualified plan of any type, you are putting bureaucratic nonsense in between you and your money, literally your money. When you look at our, our leadership, that's, that's, we have let's, 30, let's not even use that word. That's, that's a disgrace. Yeah, when you look at our elected leaders. people, right? Yeah. Yeah. You get 32 trillion. These people have, have generated 32 trillion plus of, of liabilities that now our great grandchildren are going to be on the books to pay. Right. Uh, um, they've cut into the, the average person's wealth through inflation. Why do you want to do business, more business with these people? That's who you're doing business with. And I, I, it amazes me when I get in these discussions with people. They just can't see it. They are so programmed that this is the way. And again, I... Well, if you don't know the problem... Yeah, the solution doesn't matter, does it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So but anyway, simplify. Keep the government you know out of your I pocket. Stand now, folks, don't you? Yeah, well, I think we knew before you that. Know. Yeah, yeah. But probably. you know, even the 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 other side of the aisle, people on the far extreme, say the far far left, they would probably also, if they were being honest, answer that no, I want to be able to pass my money to my family without the government interfering and taking it all, you know, yeah. or making it complicated yeah. to do that. They they just want you to not be able to pass your money to your heirs. Yeah, right? that's right. Well, hopefully they're not re reproducing as much. Well, they certainly aren't because yeah. uh, the, the testosterone level in those males is is extremely low. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's their science to back that up. Anyway, yeah. um, so, and, and here's probably one of the last things is you mentioned government interference. They can change the rules on your qualified plans whenever they want. And they, they just recently did again. Yeah. I mean, um, the so RMD age keeps changing. Yeah. I so guess how more can, favorable technically. Yeah, I uh, guess so. But how can you plan but, when the rule book can change at any time? How can you game plan when they can change the rule book? You know, it's like driving the speed limit. You're, you get, you're, you're going 35 and a 35, that cop pulls you over and then he changes the speed limit sign to 25 and says you're speeding. Like that's, yeah. it, it's no different. I like putting my capital, the majority of my capital, somewhere where the rules won't change. The policies enforce, it's a contract between two private entities, me and the, the mutual insurance company. They can't change the contract. They're not allowed to. That's right. That's right. Right. Yep. That's where, that's where our capital goes. Um, and again, just to reiterate, it doesn't mean I don't do anything else. Although I could, I could just pay high premium for my entire adult life and be just fine. Right. You could. Um, but anyway, obviously I do more than that, but, uh, yeah, 
But yeah, yeah we that's do. Where, that's where I'm putting my money. But and you bring up a good point. Like if you just use this as nothing else than a a retirement account, or yeah, right, a, a savings account for retirement, or as some might, uh, you know, one book calls it a life insurance retirement plan. You could call it whatever you want. If you did nothing else but just did that, you'd absolutely improve your situation and retirement would be better because you'd have guarantees and certainty and you could you could spend freely. But here's the great thing about it. Like you said at the beginning, the banker can do whatever he or she wants. So you don't have to wait until retirement to reap the living benefits of this right now. You can put that money to work right now. Yep. And we also can't illustrate that for you, right? Like, I don't know what you're doing with your cash value. You could finance a vehicle. You could be financing your children's college. You could be financing part of your retirement. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You could be buying that retirement vacation home mm-hmm. um, at, a, at a lower interest rate than you'd be paying for a 30-year mortgage right now. Yeah. And I tell you, the case for IBC is so strong, Dave. I was Before we got on, I was talking to one of my newer clients. He's an Army colonel, uh, retiring soon. And the bank didn't want to count his current income for the loan application. So like, you're retiring from the Army. This income is going to go away. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. So imagine, though, if had 20 years ago or 25 years ago as a young lieutenant, he started capitalizing policies and added more policies as he got pay raises. Instead of throwing all that money into TSP, where would he be now? Well, he'd be able to probably self-finance the majority or if not all of that home purchase wherever he's, I think he's moving to Tennessee somewhere. But, yep. Um, Absolutely. So or, the golden yeah. rule. Yep. He who has the gold makes, makes the, the rules. rules. There you go. Nice, man. Well, I think we could go on and on, but I think this is a pretty good overview for maybe people who have really, I mean, for a couple types of people, people who who haven't thought about this as a retirement option or another asset to be used during retirement, um, people who only view this as something that they can put to work immediately, right away, let's get my cash in there and then get it right back out and start recycling it over and get those dollars, you know, more than, more than one job. Um, realize... This is an incredibly powerful tool for those passive income years or those retirement years, whatever you want to call them. So um, don't neglect that. You know, if you're a, an advisor uh, of any kind out there and you're bringing this to your people, then kudos. Good job. Keep doing it because they need they need some fixed uh, a fixed portion of their portfolio. You know, something with guarantees and certainty. Um, you know, and it'll save you headaches. When they retire and they come you and they they bombard you like hey I'm what's going on here I'm losing all my money I'm it, it's the plan's not looking like you said it would well if you got something like this in place it will look like you said it would yeah and in fact it would make you probably one of the more popular advisors in the country if you would just you know stop thinking about just constant money under management even though I get it. I mean, I, I get it. We're all capitalists here, but yeah, you know, if you're a fiduciary truly and you, and you take that, that designation seriously as you should, you should do better and it's what's best for the client. Now, if you don't know that this is best for the client, of course, you're not going to recommend it, right, Dave? So that's, yeah. that's where the education comes in. You need to learn about dividend paying all life insurance through mutual companies. Absolutely. And there's a really good book out there, 92 pages by Nelson Nash called Becoming Your Own Banker. Get yourself a copy. Do yourself, uh, your network, your clients, your family, your friends a favor and, and spread the message. All right, everybody. 
Well, hey, that's good. Hey, you, uh, you and Tammy enjoy the rest of Victoria. Uh, say hi to everybody out there that I didn't get to see last weekend. And uh, we'll do. Yeah, looking forward to you getting back to work. Yeah, right after this, I'm gonna do something. I think. Yeah, good. All right, folks. Well, hey, until next time, control your capital, or somebody else will. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.